Hey, what's up, coaches? Welcome to the Coach Podcast. Uh, thanks for taking some time uh, to listen in today. Um, I'm without my co-host today, Eric Voris, so it will be slightly less funny because Eric really just brings the humor to the podcast. So I apologize for that in advance. I'll do my best, Eric. Uh, but I am joined today with a special guest, uh, Gary Ingram from the Love and Truth Network is sitting with me today. And you guys, I, I met Gary recently and got an opportunity to hear his story and couldn't get off my mind the whole time that Gary had to get on this podcast and share part of his story and his expertise with you. So uh, Gary, why don't you say hey to all the coaches really quick. Hey, Jared. Thanks for having me here. Hey, coaches. Thanks for uh, listening in on this. (laughs) It's so good to have you. Um, uh, Gary, why don't don't you just real quick give us just a simple overview Mm -hmm. of what is the Love and Truth Network and just like some of the some of the premise of of how you and I got together, just the topic that we were talking about. Sure. So Love and Truth Network was established back in 2013 uh, by my wife and myself, and the focus of that is working with churches around the country, most mostly the pastors and Christian leaders, on how do we develop within our churches environments that are both safe but also transformational in dealing with all areas of sexual brokenness, whatever that may be, pornography, addiction, et cetera. And and before then, I was a pastor at a church in upstate New York for about 12 years on pastoral staff there. I wasn't the lead pastor. I was the pastor of Soul Care Ministries, overseeing support groups and recovery programs, their counseling ministry. And prior to that, um, interestingly, what kind of qualified me to move into that role is I just had a ton of my own sexual brokenness, relational brokenness. I was exposed to pornography at an early age, about five or six years old by some older neighborhood boys, as well as some of their sexual behavior with one another. And um, just really wrestled uh, just in, in my own family, real lack of connection with my dad and uh, have three older brothers, one older sister. I'm the youngest of, of all of us, all of my siblings. And um, from there, growing, growing up in church and uh, hearing a lot of truth, but then also wrestling with all of these deep feelings that I felt so much shame about uh, and, the, and the stuff that had been done to me and then the stuff that I did. And when I hit um, puberty, I, I was you know, immediately a porn addict and chronic masturbation was just uh, something that I also struggled with greatly, hated on the one hand, and yet kept resorting to that on the other. And now, I mean, part of our ministry basis is we feel like as a church, we've had a message for too long, which was just kind of a just don't do it message, right? I mean, this is this is what the Bible says. And, and certainly we need to communicate what the Bible says, but in uh, the fact that um, lots of these areas are sinful and actually um, do uh, cause uh, decay and, and disruption in our lives. But our premise is it's not just that it's sin, it is but it's also that we're using uh, pornography and sexual sin uh, becomes a really powerful counterfeit for authentic intimacy. We were created for authentic intimacy. And when I say intimacy, I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about emotional connection. And and in the absence of deep emotional connection, uh, usually beginning in um, in our childhood develop, developmental years, uh, we can uh, pornography and sexual things can easily kind of crowd into those places, and um, and we can use those for years and decades of time as a as a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, when uh, Gary came across my path and I sat down and heard uh, his testimony. Uh, it's just so powerful the transformation that um, that God um, did in your life, and so so powerful is is your story and how He's using you to ultimately just come alongside the church. 
And I, I was kind of unpacking for Gary our our model uh, for our youth coaches at CCV. Basically, that we would we would never be able to hire the number of staff members as pastors to disciple the the students that exist across all of the CCV campuses. Mm-hmm. There's just we we couldn't afford it. Right. That's why we have youth coaches. The youth coaches are the extensions, the extension of the staff. They are the boots on the ground, pastors and mm-hmm. shepherds of students. And and Gary, I I can't think of two more relevant topics of of relational and sexual brokenness. Mm-hmm. Uh, our students are dealing with this each and every day. Yes. And some of it we know about because we hear about it in small group and some of it we don't know about. It lies just beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so Gary, I, I, over the the rest of this podcast, I just want to lean into to just some of your wisdom and some of your expertise in this area. And coaches, I'm just asking you to open up in this area um, just a teachable spirit because we we all in this area, I know this is one of the areas that even me personally, I feel really insecure or inadequate to really disciple in this area. And if you've ever been in the same place, I'm telling you, you got to open up to what Gary's about ready to share with you. Um, but maybe you can speak to a little bit, uh, Gary, that tension that exists. So the name of your network, the Love and Truth network. Right. This is this is like the ministry of Jesus, but there's there's also a real tension that exists. If we show love and we also share truth, mm-hmm. it creates this tension when we're when we're trying to provide a biblical view of sexuality and relationships for teenagers. Can, right. So can you speak to some of that tension? Sure. So we were very intentional about naming our ministry Love and Truth Network, knowing that not because we we believe that the healthiest perspective is this idea of balance between the two, but rather tension, as you already said. And, um, and, and the, that tension, the idea of tension is um, that I think is really helpful is that uh, as a leader, when you're working with an individual or even with a group, uh, the individual has his, his or her own personality, but the group kind of has its own personality too, depending on who's in it. And um, and the the way in which we communicate love and truth, it isn't we're not pulling out both barrels and just letting it rip, right? I mean, we're one of our taglines for ministry is leading with love, anchored in truth. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding too often is that. Um, it, it, the pendulum from years ago in the church um, has swung from focusing on little else but truth and kind of thumping people over the head with that without much compassion or grace to the pendulum has swung in the opposite direction where um, we aren't really um, rooted in truth at all. We just want to be nice and, you know, quote unquote, loving and compassionate. But as soon as you pull love or, or rather truth out of love, it's no longer love. Mm. And so it may feel like a short-term salve or a short-term kind of love. It may be kind of a feel-good sort of niceness, but it actually has long-term eternal consequences for that person who needs to experience um, both love and truth. So uh, that idea of leading with love, anchored in truth, uh, certainly we want to build a relationship. I mean, all of us have heard the idea of um, earning the right to speak into someone else's life, right? right I mean, right. And, and so that I think that's a big part of it um, is establishing a relationship. It doesn't have to take years to get there, not by a long shot, 
But one of the ways we learn or we earn to speak into someone else's life is when we're willing to share our own past brokenness. That's right. And that's a, that's a critical and essential piece for helping young people or adults for that matter open up. If we come and present ourselves as, hey, we've got it all together, you know, we've sort of got this Christian thing down and I'm just here to help you, then first of all, that's a lie. And then secondly, um, it doesn't cast vision for hope that somebody who has struggled, may still be currently struggling in some ways, God is still in the process of working out his grace in their lives. Right. Yep. Absolutely. That, that authenticity, uh, that authenticity mm-hmm. and transparency is so key when we're th- working with teenagers, especially because they will just see right oh, yeah. through you. So there we have it. We have this tension of we've, we've got to love our students where they're at, but we cannot withhold the truth that comes from the gospel that we are calling students to repentance and to ultimately surrender their lives to Jesus. And that is where we find, you know, that life to the full, that abundant life Mm -hmm. that John talks about. And part of that too, um, Jared, is I'm just thinking about this, that uh, while we, as adults, we do need to be open and vulnerable uh, with with students. Another thing we want to be careful of though as well, and this is part of this tension is, there's also ways in which adults can be kind of creepy in what they're communicating, right? So we want to be sure that we're communicating in ways that, uh, the young people can can uh, can grasp it. They're probably way ahead of us in terms of their knowledge base about sexual things, frankly, um, sadly. But um, what I find is sometimes people are in youth ministry and they're they're not as um, they're not as whole themselves. And and sometimes youth pastors, youth ministers, those who are helping in the youth area may have difficulty actually relating with adults. They may have difficulty really working out their own um, their own relational things with adults and and can in some ways actually wind up um, uh, trying to do that with uh, the ones they're supposed to be ministering to. So I would just say that's part of the, something to be, to be um, uh, watched for. It's something that we that um, we as individuals should be aware. Look, I need, I'm coming to the table to only give into this person's life, not to try to take anything back uh, from, from these kids. So um, that would be another aspect of the tension I think we have to um, bear in mind in terms of our own personal health. That's so huge. Yeah, we the, our students in our small groups, they, they are not our sounding board for our struggles. Right. We we exist like we're emptying our cup yep. and pouring out Christ. They're not our buddies. Lives. Yeah, they're not our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, which which I know that that's that's just speaking some hard truth mm-hmm. right there. So one of the things that we talked about in our conversation, Gary, was just um, one of the things I think that we start to lean into as coaches. When we, when we deal with the topic of sexual sin or relational brokenness, uh, we start to focus in and zoom in on the behavior. Right. You're looking at pornography. You're having sex with your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. You're gender confused. Like, let's zoom in on that. Right. And in our conversation, you talked about it, it, it's much deeper than that. It's not about the behavior, mm-hmm. but it's about the identity. Right. Can you can you speak to why that is so important that we yep. approach it from an identity foundation yep. rather than a behavior foundation? Well, I like the way you you ask that too, Jared, in terms of this idea of sort of zooming in on behavior. Rather, we kind of need to zoom out uh, and, and observe the whole person. And so um, part of that, of course, involves uh, wanting to understand where that person's heart is. Uh, if we can't, if we're not going to address the heart, if we're not going to, if we aren't finding a way to connect with a young person's heart or the heart of the the group that we're leading, um, if we're not finding a way of doing that, and we're only addressing behavior, 
it's going to be short-lived, short-sighted. Uh, it, 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 if, the, if the young person responds to that at all, or for that matter, if an adult responds to that, uh, it's usually going to be simply a matter of white-knuckling. And it's, it's, so what we're after um, and, I, and what Jesus is after is um, heart change. I mean, Jesus often rebuked the Pharisees for being these whitewashed tombs, you know, being uh, these cleaned uh, cups uh, on the outside and inside it, it's full of um, and, uh, it's full of rot and decay. And so, um, if we're only focused on behavior, we may uh, we may with our own children or with those that we're leading, we may in some fashion be able to impose some kind of outer. Um, restriction of some sort and feel like we've done a good job. But if, we, if we're leaving the heart unshepherded shepherded, and we're not addressing the identity issue, um, that is really key because everything flows out of identity. Mm-hmm. The fact that, that I'm a man made in the image of God, that you're a man made in the image of God, that my wife is a woman made in the image of God, and she's made in the image of God of equal value, but different than me. Men and women are bearers of God's image. And, and we aren't just bearers of his image as humans, we're bearers of his image as men and women of u- equal value, but unique differences. And so for me, I feel like with my boys and, and with young people at a very early ages, we need to be pouring in the good of what it means to be a boy or a girl made in the image of God. And, and that um, uh, the more that we take ownership of that, the more that we um, think about that, ponder that, pray about that, consider that. I mean, that starts to really form and shape our our thinking about um, God's direction for us, about our own purposes for ourselves uh, as as little kids growing up um, into our teenage years. So the identity piece is huge. Uh, but even before identity, when you're first finding out that somebody is sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend or that they're looking at porn or they're you know wrestling with their identity, the question should be, I mean, we, we really need to take a, a questioning perspective and not questioning like, you know, um, in a courtroom, but rather, well, I, I would love to hear your story. I mean, I'd love to know, uh, truly, I'd love to know more about how you kind of came to that place. And maybe a good way of starting is, you know, I wrestled with a lot of um, doubts about God and about church and Christianity and, and about my own relationship with him and who I, you know, and even myself, if, if we can kind of open up that way, and we can ask them to share their story with us, um, over time, that starts to break down the walls and the barriers. And so often we get a much, much better, and not just often, always, we get a much better picture of the whole of the person when we see themselves through their own eyes and, and how they've kind of come to the conclusions that they're at at 10 years old or 12 years old or 16 years old. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. Coaches, I would probably just hit pause right now, rewind the last five minutes and listen to it again. Mm. It's so, so important. If we try to address sexual relational brokenness from a behavioral standpoint, long-term, we're probably going to miss and there's a root there's a root issue that's that's rooted much deeper and that's that's in the identity. Can I say one more thing yeah, about that? Please I do. Um when it comes to this idea also of addressing the behavior, I think what we often do as parents and and my wife and I are keenly aware that we are so broken and 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 we joke about having starting a savings fund for our two boys to be able to go to counseling later down the road, but we're <laughs> we're trying our best, you know, and my wife is a is a licensed counselor, but there's a lot of things that we've experienced that we're trying to bring into our family dynamic. Um but one of the 
things that we've realized is when we're when people are only addressing behaviors as moms and dads toward their kids, as um, helpers in the church toward uh, the young people in the church, if we're really focused on behavior, what we tend to do is what we model and we push that child to develop a, a double life. Mm. So at very early ages, they present one way while inwardly they know that they are something else. Yeah. And so they they manage it, you know, they... Uh, they work within the confines of of the restrictions of their of their family, and, and don't misunderstand me. Parenting involves saying no, and it involves uh, boundaries and all of that. Absolutely, no doubt about it. But if we're only addressing the behavior, not the heart, I think what we wind up doing is we drive a wedge into that child's heart and life. They're living inwardly one way and with their friends one way, which would be shocking. I mean, I've heard stories of parents, Christian parents, that are like. I don't know how the heck this happened. My child is living this wild and crazy life online and with their friends. I just found out about it. And they are the sweetest, you know, uh, most compliant child at home and at church. And and a lot of that has come from a well-meaning, um, well-meaning parenting uh, and leadership um, perspectives, but it's but they've been driving primarily at the behavior, as you said earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's a dangerous game. It it begins even just to feed feed into like a works based yes. faith that I can just uh, do this or not do this, and that will ultimately equal my faith. And, and what that winds up meaning then is, you know, they don't hit eighteen or twenty one and poof, all that goes away. No, we carry all of those behaviors, all that way that we've learned to live. We're convinced that the majority of the church we're living double lives. We're not living open, transparent, vulnerable lives. We put our best foot forward and we hide the majority of the junk in the background and nobody knows about it. That's just the reality of, unless we do some real intentional work, um, that's the reality of where most of us live. And those behaviors were learned in childhood. Mm, So good, so good. Okay, let's close with one final question, Gary, for this episode. Um, If you were gonna kind of summarize kind of what we've talked about so far in this episode um, and maybe just put like just a, a practical challenge to this for our youth coaches who week in, week out, they're, they're sitting down and they're having real and authentic conversations with teenagers who undoubtedly are struggling in these areas. How would you coach them? Well, so what I would say, and um, and again, you may just want to edit this out, but and and and, <laughs> but what I would say is, uh, based on everything we've said, I'm going to say something a little bit different. Uh, most of us have flown uh, and boarded an airplane and we go through the security measures and all that. And we hear uh, uh, one of the things that I commonly repeat, if the oxygen mask falls from uh, the cabin above or whatever, put your own uh, mask on first and then help your child or whoever's with you or your your husband who's acting like a child or whatever. And, and uh, um, what I find so often is with those, especially in our culture and our generation, um, that many time, times leaders and parents are wanting to help their kids, but they themselves are living on fumes spiritually. Mm-hmm. And so many times, um, you know, one of the things I didn't say in my testimony is that I lived as a, as a, as a gay identified man for many years. I mean, that, that was my perspective. I just kind of gave myself over to that, left Bible college, hated God, hated the church, and uh, became a bartender at a gay club and just felt like this is who I am. And eventually God drew me back out of that. Lots of detail in there I can't get into now. But, um, but so often uh, what I find is that we are not actually um, putting our own mask on first. We are, um, uh, we're, we are trying to um, fix everybody else around us when we ourselves spiritually are, as, as I said, living on fumes. So that's, that's, and also even wrestling with some of the topics of sexuality, like 
what some of us, I think, as leaders may feel like, what's so bad about looking at pornography? What's so bad about sleeping with your boyfriend if you're planning on marrying him anyway? Or maybe you're engaged. And so you're engaged, you're you're getting ready to be married, now you're moving in together. Well, that's kind of a natural course of direction. Well, no, biblically it's not. Uh, What about the person who, like myself, who experiences strong same-sex attraction and it's exclusive? What do we do with, you know, isn't it unloving? Coming back to the love and truth question, isn't it unloving to to share what the Bible actually says about that? Uh, So, but we're oftentimes we as leaders and parents are unprepared to deal with those deep issues. We've kind of rolled our shrugged our shoulders and felt like, okay, I mean, I sort of get what the Bible says, but we haven't wrestled it down in our own understanding, and we haven't wrestled it down in our own lives. So many leaders are also struggling sexually. So many leaders are looking at pornography. They're masturbating on a regular basis. There, uh, you know, there's other sexual things going on as well. How in the world can we help young people if we ourselves are also wrestling in those areas? So we have to find the help and support to first of all get ourselves right to be able to see clearly how to help those that we're ministering to. I think that probably was exactly what we needed to hear. Thank you, Gary. And and I would just follow up um, that challenge for all of our coaches right now. Um, hear this with a a very truthful and loving heart right now. We are for you. Mm-hmm. And this church is a safe place mm-hmm. for you to come to your pastor and say, I'm not okay. I'm struggling in this area. And for the coach out there who this has been a secret for um, months, years, and you've never had someone um, just know about it, mm-hmm. um, would you trust us and and let us let us help you? Uh, let us be pastors. Um, I think I think I would just challenge you like, it's not, it's not about um, what we would lose in losing you as a coach. Um, it's about your soul. It's mm-hmm. about your relationship with Jesus. And that comes first. And if that's not first, then how in the world can we expect um, the ministry will continue through you? So we love you. This is a safe place. Um, let us know. Let us know. Gary, thank you so much. Um, no, you're welcome. This has been just a great overview and just opportunity for the coaches to get to know you. And, and coaches, I just want you to know, um, I, I think um, what I've been learning from Gary is just so important that we're, we're going to turn right around and we're going to drop a, another episode with Gary next week. And we're just going to zoom into some of the practical in this area. Um, Gary has some great um, wisdom in this area. We're going to dive into porn addiction a little bit, and we're going to really look at how this is having an effect in teenagers' lives. And we're going to really try to reinforce you as the coach on how to come alongside our our students who are struggling in this area. So make sure to check into the podcast next week for the bonus episode with Gary and coaches. Just remember, um, investing in your own development as a coach, it matters so much. We say this every time on the podcast, when the coach gets better, the whole student ministry gets better. So true. Have a great rest of your week. See you next time.